Welcome once again to the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. As always, a gentle reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend to our lovely little podcast here that is being heard coast to coast all over the world. A special hello to our listeners in India. I promise I am looking for the big India show. I just don't know what it's going to look or sound like, but that is the plan. And I'm just accruing information and contacts, but it's happening. If that, you may not want to hear that show because you're already abundantly aware of what's happening in soccer in India. I don't know, but I want to know more. So be on the lookout for that. Very excited for today's show. Coming up in the business end, we will be chatting to Jessica Black, a complete self-starter who I worked with here at 110 Football. She has moved on. She has her own YouTube show. She knows Arsenal. She is specific to the club Arsenal. She is appearing on English shows. She's an American voice, an American female voice, breaking new grounds. Uh, And I think a lot of people are going to follow her lead. So we'll talk about how she got her start. We'll talk about Arsenal, who's a very intriguing club right now. So we'll get, for all the Gunner fans out there, our cup will runneth over here today. Coming up in Check Complete, I sent a tweet out about the promotion class and how poor it was in England. And it quickly, on social media, became a pro-rel debate on MLS. I didn't say anything about MLS, but I got dragged back in. Dragged back in. So I will talk about that promotion class and we'll talk about promotion relegation, how it is not always this magical veil that sorts out all problems and makes people watch. It doesn't. It doesn't. But I'm not saying I don't support ProRel, but I'll give you all my thoughts. So stick around for that. Should be an interesting discussion in Check Complete after we talk to Jessica Black. This is the Soccer OG. You're in the right place. Let's get started. I am recording this on a Wednesday. It probably makes sense to do this on a Thursday, but I didn't want it to be too MLS intensive because we're taking a little pivot here as we want to do on the Soccer OG. We want to be a global soccer show. Coming up tonight is the uh, Lamar Hunt US Open Cup. Uh, the big dis- discussion is, is Messi going to play? It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. At least he's not going to start. They're going to play Houston. And Messi hasn't really played the last two games. He, he's breaking down a little bit, which is you know not to be unexpected. And there's discussion. You know, our, our Felipe Cardenas, who's been a guest on this show, talking about how maybe it's time to shut Messi down for this season, which sounds crazy, but really, you have two big seasons to come. You want to get it right. They're not going to make. They're very unlikely not going to make the playoffs. I got to say, I, I tuned into the the Messi game as they faced Orlando, and there was no Messi, there was no Busquets, there was no Jordi Alba. Their presence was felt. You know what I mean? It, it, it was there, and it made the game a little bigger. Uh, but even without them, you saw a, an an entertaining MLS game with stakes attached. And again, reminds me to give credit to Tata Martino, how he's kept this club above water uh, in an absolute whirlwind of a few months. I hope we see Messi again a couple times. Uh, We'll miss it, trust me. Because, you know, that is the lightning rod for new MLS viewership. And now that he hasn't played a lot, you've seen it take a dip in many ways. And people watching the, the recaps and people engaging with even inner Miami uh, social media, that's fine. I mean, he's been he's done an incredible job, but, you know, you don't want it to be an anti-climax. But it's probably going to be one. And I, you know, the goal is for MLS is to 
get Messi, get fans to come in to watch Messi, get people to stay to watch Sounders or LAFC or FC Cincinnati or Philadelphia Union. But that's going to take a while. Again, it's just going to be a slow burn as long as it's always upward and not downward. And I think that's the case for MLS by and large. There's been a lot of exciting developments in addition to Messi and the others that joined him there. League's Cup was a great success. Uh, Apple TV, those are three big pillars, right? Messi, League's Cup, Apple TV. Huge, huge. You don't usually have a season with one of those things, let alone three. So <clears throat> very good. So I'm not, we're not going to talk too much about that. I'm going to be at the Campeones Cup final at BMO Stadium, LAFC and Tigres. As we get closer to that game, the more excited I get about seeing these two teams clash. Tigres is just a huge brand, a massive club, maybe the, the biggest in North America really at this point with the amount they can spend and the ambition that they have. So I'm hoping, I mean, realistically, I think Tigres win that game. But if LFC could win it, it's huge for the club and MLS as well. Campeones Cup. Part of that uh, uh, partnership with Liga MX and how they are going to um, build out and make this a relationship that lasts. I think the League's Cup suggested that, and that will continue. And both leagues need each other for different reasons. Before we get into it, and again, Jessica Black, uh, uh, she knows Arsenal, will be joining us in the business end. Check complete. For all those people that exchanged with me on X, uh, and I, you know, some, I'm getting really tired of the, the low-hanging fruit. Like, I made that comment about the promoted clubs, and immediately someone goes, oh, Bredos, uh, MLS fanboy, Kalexa check. I have some interesting thoughts about that. So stick around because it's more than that. And this communication, it's not its not benefiting anyone. That's why we've got to stay off. And that's why I'm very happy I have this podcast. You're going to want to stick around for that. I'm going to, I'm going to roll up the sleeves and I'm going, to let, I'm going to throw some haymakers, okay? So stick around. Some big news here. There was a really, uh, you know, Ajax are, are slipping in a big way. And we saw this horrible scenes in Amsterdam where the game had to be, you know, Suspended. Uh, it was finally completed, but just unruliness and a very dark day for uh, the sport. And I don't want to d- delve into it. It's just something that I saw and was very disappointed with, with regards to um, the direction of the, the fan cultures in many places. And Ajax is a club that has been spoiled with success. They have a bad run, and obviously that doesn't sit well. I mean, this is one short bad run. They sell players. That's part of Ajax. They lose Eric Ten Hag. That's another story we'd like to get into. And, you know, there's unhappiness. You know, there, there were some moves made at the top. You can't behave that way. It's just an awful day for everyone involved. And, you know, you know, a little piece of me, a little piece of all of you die when we see stuff like that. So, you know, that wasn't the only unsavory thing that we saw in uh, the world of soccer. Victor Ossiman is looking to take legal action against Napoli. Uh, after some social media posts rose, uh, the content was deleted by the club's account and he was being mocked. It was his silly little childish voice uh, and he missed a penalty. Uh, the relationship has been stressed a bit because uh, um, I, I, Victor Ossiman wants to make a, the big move, right? And As he should, as everyone should want to. Um 
what was said about Roberto Calenda, the agent, what happened today on Napoli's official profile on the TikTok platform is not acceptable. Napoli have a pretty successful TikTok account. And we'll get to that because, you know, I heard reports about it. And some people immediately see that and scream, you know, all sorts of awful things. The insensitivity of Napoli, the, the rich history of racism within soccer in Italy. And that was going to, to come up. And that Napoli is racist. I know, and, and there's probably racism. I know there's racism in Italy. There's, prob- there's racism in these soccer clubs. But there's not rampant stupidity. And these posts, to post it intentionally, if you're a club and you're dealing with this star striker that you've worked so hard to cultivate a relationship with, is beyond stupid that it doesn't make any sense. So uh, I saw some people mentioning that there is probably someone who manages the TikTok account and this older generation of clubs like Napoli have no idea what happens on their TikTok account. They don't care. They say, put it on there, put our content. And there's a guy who's in charge. He's a bit of a joker. He's a massive idiot. So he makes these things. He's not even remotely funny. And they don't notice it until it's after the fact. Now, should Napoli be alert of that? In 2023, absolutely. You can't allow these things to happen on your social media accounts. Because immediately everyone's going to think, the, the the court of public opinion is going to think that the president of Napoli and the teammates did this to rise to, to rile him up. And Victor Osman, I don't think, believes that this was done intentionally. I, um, his agent is unhappy, but I would imagine they want disc, uh, recourse because they want this to not happen. And it should never happen. But the reality is, there's these old men at Napoli. They have no idea what they're doing the TikTok. But why would they sabotage this relationship with this? It's just so stupid that it happened and somebody should. And now if someone's coming out there and saying, hammer down on Napoli, yeah, maybe, but they just can't. No one's this dumb, especially Napoli, a club that has done so well. They're never going to be classified as a dumb club. It's just unfortunate um, to see these things occur and it casts uh, an unpleasant light on the sport again. And hopefully we move forward. We'll see what happens with Victor Aussie, man. But I think uh, smarter heads will prevail here because it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense because, again, you know, the, the crowd, um, whether it's not only social media, but on certain uh, publications or people that should know better, they just come down with the hammer without really doing the research and then sometimes you just look at it and say okay this can't be this can't be if i'm wrong on this then uh, I, i'll stop doing this podcast but i'm pretty sure that is the case and the owners of napoli will investigate and uh, move forward u.s men's national team we have some october games coming up the big news is Gio reyna and greg berhalter have met and moved forward i think there was a report that greg berhalter and john brooks are meeting to clear the air. Maybe both of them return in October. John Brooks certainly has earned a look, and Gio Reyna should be a part of this club, even though he hasn't played at all, really, this season. He's been on the bench a couple times for Dortmund. But that's an important step, and it happened, and it is water under the bridge, according to me. I know some people want to hang on to it and say, hey, well, he should have done this sooner. Who Don't. Let's not. Let's not. Okay. Let's move forward. We need to concentrate on the task at hand because, again, I'm going to point out, I don't think we are as good as many people say we are. We, we blame Greg Berhalter for not getting us here and there, but I don't know if we are a top 10 team 
So if Greg Berhalter is overseeing a top 10 team, he's doing something right. Our players are not hitting at a very, very high clip. Uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to, from time to time, check in. And I, I want to, with, with the players not hitting at that high clip, I want to celebrate the ones that are. So as we look into what um, who has stood out, Weston McKinney's at the top of that list. Uh, the Juventus, there's a midweek games in, in all over, and there's Carabao Cup in England, but there's Serie A and La Liga games going on. And Weston McKinney continues to be our number one performer. So I have a quick top five for you guys in this order. Weston McKinney is our number one export at this point. Anthony Robinson, who's been so consistent, number two. Matt Turner, who continues to get games at Nottingham Forest, even though there were some reports that he may be displaced as the number one. That hasn't happened. He's number three. Christian Pulisic, who was involved in a couple goals for Milan in their midweek game down at Cagliari in Sardinia. Very difficult road trip to go all the way from the north to the south like that. Come from behind to win 3-1. Pulisic probably should move ahead to three. Let me move Pulisic to three because he had a bad couple games. I'm curious to see what it looks like for the Champions League, but that was an important performance from him. It was actually pretty poor from Milan for 40 minutes, and then he he was involved in the first goal, and then he was involved in the last goal, so there was a, a good improvement there, uh, a positive sign for Pulisic, who just has to get consistent. So Turner 4 and Luca Della Torre at 5. That's where it stands, and we look forward to seeing Gio Reyna or many other guys make it into that list. But it's good. Uh, we really go as far as Christian Pulisic go. It's actually been an okay few days for the USMNT Americans abroad. So we'll continue to, to gauge that and move forward. I've been on the road. I was in Dallas. I've been, I've been covering FC Dallas very closely. I will be covering them again this weekend. I'm going to Houston. Houston's playing in the U.S. Open Cup. I think they're going to beat Inter-Miami. And I will cover that game. So if you're in Houston, come out, say hi to the stadium. Look forward to doing that. And then we'll be back for October and the stretch run in MLS. Very exciting times. We cover everything here on Soccer OG. Glad that you are on board. We're going to get into the business. And Jessica Black, she knows Arsenal. Talking about the Gunners, who have been the key players. How far can they go? Can they win some trophies? And we'll talk a little about a Premier League. This is the Soccer OG. Somebody I've been able to work with a couple years ago with our time covering uh, LAFC with uh, 110 football is Jessica Black, who you may have seen. Arsenal supporters certainly know. And I love the the how, the specificity on focusing on a team and how important that is. And I'll get her thoughts about it because uh, I, watching her grow her channels, watching her grow her influence, it's been pretty cool. But Jessica Black, she knows Arsenal on YouTube joining me here, which which means, of course, Jessica will talk a lot of Arsenal, which I have no issue with because it's a very okay. interesting club. Uh, and it's been it's, it's obviously been fun for you to cover as well, because I I'm not going to say they weren't interesting two, three years ago, but they weren't they weren't front page news by any mm -hmm. means. But the last two years, last year with their title run, I mean, this has got to be pretty fulfilling for you to follow a team that is pushing amongst let's say the seven or eight top clubs on the planet right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And it's so much fun. Getting it's to good to see I'm sure again. I glossed over that. It's great to see you. I'm, I'm yeah. so, I always say this, I'm very proud to see what, what you have been able to create for yourself. 
Yeah. And like early days, you gave me some really good advice, like when we were doing stuff with LAFC and I've taken that with me and tried to apply it. So thank you so much. But in terms of being an Arsenal supporter, it is a roller coaster. Like you've, you'll never believe Arsenal are the type of team, like there's always something going on. And even when we're in the pits, there's always something to talk about. And so <laughs> last season, the, the title, the title challenge didn't go the way that we wanted it to go, but it opened up a huge discussion on how Arsenal move forward and how they get to the point where they can try to close the gap on Manchester city. And so there's always something to talk about and Arsenal super close to my heart. It's not just about the team. It's about the community. We have some of the best content creators um, on the planet. We have some just the nicest people involved with the club. And so it feels like family. And so it's just nice to be able to give a little bit of something back to the fans and people that talk to me about watching my content, um, come up to me like when I'm in London and say, oh my gosh, I watch your show, da, da, da. It's humbling. It's so, so, so cool. And so, yeah, um, I love my team and um, I look forward to talking a little bit more about it. I would love for us to get a little conversation about Balligan maybe in. Oh, of course. Oh, a little crossover it. there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have some thoughts. Well, but yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> Well, it's it's interesting because what we what I've known I've covered the you know, Premier League and I remember when I first started watching you had the I was watching the Invincibles and Arsenal was the sexiest team on the planet and you, you'd have to watch their games we knew all the names of the players from Terry Henry to Ian Wright uh, to Ray Power all of them uh, and Arsene Wenger obviously at the top but in the last few years notwithstanding the last two. Uh, the content that most people saw, I want to say most people saw, but that were drawn to was like Arsenal TV. And it was hilarious. It was a, the this, this discontent of the Arsenal fans and everyone would just lavish and seeing them. Oh God, we want Unai Emery out, blah, blah, blah. And, it's, and you would laugh at their uh, um, unhappiness. And mm -hmm. I mean, you'll never be quite happy, but this is, uh, it, it's, it's really good to see Arsenal back. And I mean, granted, this is a, uh, this is a, uh, a roller coaster ride, I am sure. Although I will say, uh, you know, Mikel Arteta was a guy who was on the on the chopping block, or maybe not. But I mean, people wanted him out, mm -hmm. and it seemed like it could have been close. Arsenal stuck with him, and then they came so close, and now they have these great aspirations. But it is not only that, but being able to cover the marketplace where they bring in, you know, they make huge signings over the last couple of years. In particular, we were talking about Declan Rice taking him. Uh, from my West Ham, which I have no issue, I, I I have no issue with because they've done such a nice job replacing mm -hmm. him with some new midfielders. But um, you you mentioned it quickly because this is one of the things that really intrigues me as Americans. And where are you from in the states? Uh, Los Angeles. Okay, so you're a Los Angeles. You're an Angelino. Um, mm -hmm. We all live here too. But being able to be an American voice and cover the English game, and you do it in England. You lived over over there for a year. Uh, that is very difficult. I have seen it because once people hear an American voice, they roll their eyes. Yes. I mean, you've had to deal with that somehow, but I get, I get the impression that it's kind of run its course and now they feel like you are, you are an important part of the Arsenal narrative and people, mm -hmm. when they want an intelligent conversation and, and follow Jessica, Jessica Black on, on X and, and certainly check out her YouTube page. It's an intelligent conversation where English Arsenal supporters will turn to to get smarter about their club. I mean, yeah. how have you seen that transition? Because I know at first it must have been difficult. Yeah, and now course. where it feels it feels comfortable. 
of course like early days when i just had a, a twitter account that's that's how i discovered that there is this entire arsenal community online which is going on twitter looking for transfer news um this one random like summer window and just realizing there was all these people and all these accounts and i was like oh wow like this is amazing um and at that point i could kind of hide a little bit you know because nobody really knew where i was from but you would always get, you know, somebody would look at your location tag and be like, oh, this is an American. They don't know anything. Oh, it's, oh, it's American a American. know anything. <laughs> like immediately it just devalued anything I was going to say. But I'm just not the type of person like it's a part of my personality to be a little bit bullish and just kind of go with what I feel like is best and kind of ignore the noise on the outside. And I love Arsenal and I love talking about Arsenal. So I'm going to start a YouTube channel and try to connect a little bit more and the comments, they're always there. The, oh my gosh, American comments, they're always there. But there's always more people that like you than dislike you. I always feel that way. Right I on. think uh, negative voices are always the loudest, but there's always a group of people that really support you. And when your platform is growing, especially like the way that mine has grown, I've always looked at the numbers and been like, there are so many more people that actually value the content, value what I'm saying. So I'm going to focus on them instead of the other people. And I think that's just the way to be, you know, moving to London and trying to explore that a little bit more and see what I could do out there. Like I was embraced more than anything by people in England and what I was trying to do, because I think they could see that I genuinely love the club. And even though I may maybe say a couple of things wrong, you know, maybe not have the right terminology here or there, they still respected the fact that I actually knew the club and loved it the way that they do. So I think all in all, like if I had to give anybody any sort of advice, just like ignore, there's always going to be somebody saying, oh my gosh, American. But like in reality, so many people love what you do. If you're good at what you do. People respect it. And um, I'm glad I never stopped and listened to the negative voices because I even think because I, I had the opportunity to go to Qatar um, and go and um, cover the World Cup with goal. That would have never happened if I had stopped and just listened to the voices that were negative and there were there were quite a few there there were out there so <laughs> persevere you know persevere it will happen for you trust you know so um that's pretty much been my journey is just bulldoze through you know well, but just again <laughs> I, I, and you say that you say that so matter of fact yeah they're out there I, go, I know they're out there because i know they're out there before you even say a word and i glossed <laughs> over the fact that you're a woman because that's gonna have people put some guards yeah. up yeah. before you even say a word they're gonna be nope and uh, you've you've been able to motor through that, and it's 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 good to see. And by the way, just hearing you talk about sports, it's great to see how you you've gotten comfortable with uh, conveying that information because it's hard too. <laughs> yeah. You've got to you're you're very close to being yourself off the air and on the air. You're almost you're you're going to nail that here pretty soon, and it's going to be you're yeah. going to be on your way, and that's going to be a, a great moment. And you, you I've you know you've been on the uh, the fan zone, and you're some of the English media is yeah. picking up or inviting you to their shows to talk about Arsenal. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't want to underscore it, but that's a huge breakthrough moment because they, that is yeah. something they would never have were would have rarely done. Um, they would have gone through their channels to get English voices who probably very, the authentic voice, which is something we hear a lot here. And mm -hmm. I also, and it's and that to me, I've been in it a bit. It's very discouraging. I go, I, all right, I'm not going to, you know, 
be, uh, try and crawl up that tree again, but mm -hmm. you've done it and it's embedded yourself in there, but it's, it's a, it's a heavy lift too. Like you living over there in, in, the, yeah. in, in England and watching so much Arsenal, watching so much football in general as well. Yeah. It's um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I realize that I'm at the bottom of the pile. Not only have I just started my career, like it's in its infancy. I've only been doing this for three years, like, and seriously for probably about two. So I'm in my the infancy of my career, and there's tons of people that not only have the authentic voice that you you speak of, but have been doing the work a lot longer than me. So my plan was always reach out to companies, be open to opportunities, but don't be discouraged by knowing that even though I'm being because I I did have somebody working with me, like an agent working with me while I was in London. And I just tried not to be discouraged by knowing that I was being pitched for certain jobs and it going to people that they probably feel like just fit a little yep. bit better. And so what I end up getting is, you know, the jobs that they turn down or the jobs that, you know, maybe financially are not what they want, but I'm willing to take because I'm like, yeah, <laughs> give it to me. And so it opens up opportunities for me to get onto the Premier League and you know, share my voice a little bit more and just those little things they build over time, but you have to be patient because like in reality, nothing is going to come right away. I think it's very rare that you like start a career and there's a bunch of people ahead of you and you just jump the line. It doesn't happen. But like I mentioned before, the reason why I got to go to Qatar, which was a, like a life-changing moment for me personally, I never would have dreamed that I would have been able to go to Qatar and like actually go to games, watch Messi play live, like watch Mbappe play live, like never would have thought that that would happen. That's because the main person that they wanted turned the job down. Uh. That's the reason why I got the job, you know? <laughs> and, and that comes from just, I think being positive and just chilling and just being like, okay, it's going to happen for me at some point. So it is hard, you know, knowing that, oh, you see somebody out there and you're like, you know what? I know exactly what, you know, they're saying. And I could have done that. But in reality, it's just going to take time. And my main goal for all of this is like, even just beyond me, that people that look like me, sound like me, come from the same background as me, eventually feel like the path to getting into football slash soccer anywhere is a lot easier. Because I think the more people like me that are around and trying to like beat down that door will eventually make it easier for other people. And I know there are other people like me wanting to do this stuff because they're in my DMs telling me all the time. Their parents are telling me, hey, my my daughter, she watches you, da, da, da. she wants to do that too. So for me, it's like, even when I'm long gone, I just want it to be easier for people to get that pathway into doing what they love, which is covering football. Like who doesn't yeah. want to do that? Well said, <laughs> that's what it's all about. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. And I, I'm curious about this person who said, I don't want to go see, I don't want to go to Qatar because I don't want to see Messi and I don't want to see Mbappe. <laughs> but that, that inspiration, inspirational part is huge. And that's awesome to hear as well uh, about what, where you can uh, it, it inspire people because before they, I, I would imagine there'd been a lot of roadblocks and now they can, they, they know if you put the work in that there's a possibility to find your niche. But I think that's, that's important too. It's like someone's going to go, I just want to cover the sport. I want to mm -hmm. cover the Premier League and do it, but specificity uh, or be specializing in certain things, I think is is a real mm -hmm. important route, and that might open up some more doors. Right, covering yeah. Arsenal might open up 
the ability to cover the Premier League in whole or covering up the Champions League. And obviously that's something you'd be interested in. And uh, But finding something that works, finding something that you're passionate about, that just comes through, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I've tried at times to cover more than just Arsenal and the Premier League. And I do think that although I can do those things, it just comes a lot more naturally for me to cover things that I really gravitate towards. And like you said, eventually I would like to branch out, but I think you want to become an expert in something and then add a little bit more to it and add a little bit more to it. And I always want to go into conversations. Like if I'm talking to you on a podcast or I'm going on the Premier League or I'm going somewhere and be able to speak off the dome, you know, I know it like that. I'm not stressing out about like, do I actually know these players' names? Do I actually really care about this? And for me, when it comes to Arsenal, Arsenal women, the WSL, the Premier League in general, that stuff just rolls off. That is definitely like my niche and doesn't mean you can't do other things, but I do think being an expert in something specific helps you a lot, helps you a lot, a lot, instead of trying to do everything for everybody. Cause there's so many different things and like you oh could boy. cover so many different areas of football, like slash soccer, like it's so much, but be an expert at something first. And for me, that that's Arsenal for sure. I would like, as long as when you're covering it, you, you, to the, the English media, you go football slash soccer, see what their reaction is. I would love to see it, but uh, <laughs> it's the reality like any- for us Americans. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I'm like, is it that big of a deal? But like for them, it's like, yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> like when I used to say like, oh, we tied. They're like, draw. I was like, oh. Oh, all right, my bad. See, my bad. <laughs> I, I've been hell bent on losing some of the English terminology here just because it doesn't feel, maybe if we're covering it over there, which you are for here, I'm, I'm, it's not as authentic when we're covering MLS so forth. So it's it, it's so weird that all the semantics and uh, the the – just the vernacular that we use, we, mm-hmm. that we all use, that we're on board with, and that we take to, we all take departures on. But we're getting mm-hmm. there, or maybe we won't ever get there, and it is what it is. <laughs> uh, hey, let's talk some Gunners. Uh, it's yeah, another it. uh, exciting year for the for the team, and uh, Mikel Arteta obviously reinforced this team a lot. We talked about Declan Rice, and there are goals are in the Champions League for the first time in a long time. They had their first game, and they. Mm-hmm. You know, they beat the snot out of PSV Eindhoven, which is a good start. And, you know, I I, I was already talking, you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but there, you know, if you had a ranking of all the teams after one round, you'd probably put Arsenal in the top five as a team that could potentially be there at the end. I would mm-hmm. think so. I mean, there's a lot of flawed teams out there. It's, I don't want to say flawed, but it feels like the tournament has opened up a bit. And we saw it last year where, um, Inter made the final and, you know, some other teams made a, a deeper run Benfica where maybe yeah. the big four in England are going to just rip through this champions league. Like they did three, four years ago, other leagues are going to get involved. Um, and then, you know, even Barcelona around uh, some of the big names, certainly Real Madrid's there. They struggled mm-hmm. in their first game, but uh, we'll start with the champions league. I mean, it is, the goal, the goal here for Arsenal is to not leave 2023-24 empty-handed. And obviously, notwithstanding the cup competitions where they'll be in there, the domestic cup competitions, you got two big ones. Where do you feel more confident that there could be a breakthrough? or well, Premier League or Champions League? Look, I, <laughs> you know, there's this big blue shark in the water at all times, Manchester City. And as as much as I love Arsenal and I want to delude myself into thinking that, you know, we're going to do this. 
I'm just watching something that I feel like I haven't seen since Sir Alex Ferguson with with Pepin and Manchester City. I mean, they have a monopoly over the Premier League and they have for a very long time. They finally broke through that wall of winning the Champions League and they're missing key players. I mean, they they sold Gundogan, um, which is a big one, and they're missing Kevin De Bruyne right now. And they're still kind of just beating teams. Yeah, Easily. it's not they're not they're not blowing the doors off of them, but they're beating them. They did that with yeah. West Ham. They trailed. I was like, great. And then they were down a goal and at the beginning of the second half scored 40 seconds in. I go, that's yeah. a good team, man. Exactly. And so as much as I want to say, like, of course, like we can win it. I do think that it's going to be difficult because this team, you have to be perfect. Look at what Liverpool went through for years. They won it once and they were always very close, but Pep and City just seemed to get it done. And so from my perspective, I think Arsenal will probably maybe have a better chance in the Champions League, to be honest, because it's a little bit more of a lottery. It's just, you know, a little bit more of a lottery. Maybe you can try to get some weaker draws as you go down, but it's going to be hard. You know, I think the biggest task for Arteta and Arsenal over the summer was trying to close the gap with Manchester City. And Declan Rice is an amazing signing. Like, I am sure that that guy is going to be the difference in a lot of big games for us. Um, It's really unfortunate that Durian Timber um, sustained that ACL in the first game of the season because I thought he was going to be a game changer as well. And then you have Kai Havertz where there's still some question marks around it. So... Have we closed the gap? I'm not sure. Are we a better team? I'm not sure yet. You know, <laughs> I think it's it's going to take some time to figure that out. But I really wanted to see us take, like, make it really, really serious um, runs in the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. I think those are the, probably the cups that feel a little bit more attainable at this stage because we don't even have experience in the Champions League, really, in our team. No. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a long time. And, you know, I went through the team and I was like, okay, who in our team has that type of experience? You have Jorginho. He's not a starter. You have Kai Havertz. You know, he's there. He lifted the trophy. Yeah, he he was there. I mean, he scored the winning goal. But, you know, um, we have a lot of guys that this is their first time around in this competition. Odegaard had two appearances for Real Madrid in the competition, you know? And so I think Arsenal need to focus on staying near Manchester city in the league. You know, I think trying to make sure that you're within a point, if you lose it is so important. And then going far in those cup competitions and trying to win it. Cause you know, I know, we talked we talked a lot about being second is great but i was jealous of manchester united last season they came third and won a trophy and i just know that 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 changes a lot you know i think That's players need to they need to hold on to something trophies are all that matters in the game you Thank know you, you very forget much. about a challenge it's true it, you you forget about the times that you challenge but you remember the times that you won a trophy and so i think if arsenal were to stay in the you know, in the title race and and made it close, want to care about Cup or FA Cup, I think I'd be okay with that knowing that, that we're still probably a couple of years away from really challenging City the way that we, we want to with the young side. So that's kind of where I'm at with things. Um, I'm open. I, I hope that we do it. But um, there's a lot of pressure on Arsenal right now. And um, we can feel it in the fan base. It does not feel like last season where it was like free flowing and vibes. 
there's a heaviness there. There's expectations there. So we'll see how Arsenal deal with that and the fan base, because we are one of the most reactionary and emotional fan bases on the planet. <laughs> That's a that's a really well grounded answer, and I'm sure some people at the Arsenal TV crowd go, "Wait a minute, we're not leaving this, we're not leaving this season without a major trophy." But let, this is all this success is all brand new for Arsenal. I mean, notwithstanding their history, but getting back just into the Champions League, and like once I think the to point out what you said to get into the Champions League now, the goal is to get back in the Champions League next season and make sure it's a annual affair. And once that happens. The money comes in, the players come in, and then the success follows. And look, I, we're getting ready for LAFC tonight. They have a Campiones Cup, and everyone's like, oh, what is this trophy? I, go, I don't care. It's a trophy. And you're at your stadium. You get to lift it. That means a lot for the players in particular, and then that filters down to the fans, and all of it's important. Trophies are important, and being envious of Manchester United is a very interesting spin on that. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it – they, Arsenal might end up empty-handed and maybe they finish second again and maybe they get into a quarterfinal, a nice quarterfinal run in the Champions League. And I hope people would be satisfied with that because that's still growth. Now, if you can couple that with the trophy, you're right. Now we're now now they're cooking, but it's look, they're gonna they're gonna run into chasing city and they're already everyone's already chasing city. They're six wins out of six. I was looking at the standings and it was really compelling because you have Liverpool in second, 16 points. Brighton, who've been the, they'll, they'll probably slip a little bit. I don't think too much uh, in third. Spurs and Arsenal, and they just played in, a, in an incredible game where I, Spurs, I, I love what Spurs, you know, Spurs, another team I enjoyed ridiculing, but it's hard because I love Ange Postacoglu and mm -hmm. some of the nice pieces they brought in to build around Song Hyung Min. And, it, will it have staying power? I don't know if it'll stay here. I, I feel more confident, certainly, in Arsenal and Liverpool. And I feel, look, I really feel more confident in Arsenal over everyone than City. And the Champions League, you're not going to run into City per, per se right away, but eventually they'll pre there. They are the favorites. I mean, you look at everyone, they're the strongest team. So that is a bit, what do you say, a big blue shark? Oh yeah, yeah. That's, for they're sure. they're everywhere, and they're yeah. they're hungry. They're their jaws, and they're if you just put your foot in the water, you'll get chewed. Oh yeah, there was a quote from um from Kyle Walker that came out the other day where he said that he sat his his team down before the season started and said, "Hey guys, why don't we just get out in front and win it early <laughs> then, you know, catching up later." Let's just do yeah, that. Well, I'm like a lot of hard work. Let's just get out in front. And what, take care of it. Can one of our players sit us down and have that conversation? No, <laughs> they're like, let's just, they have a like a variation of ways to win the Premier League at this point yeah. and still feel confident <laughs> doing it. They just, this time they want to get out in front and just win it early. It's just like, it's like those... they're on a different planet than the rest of us. It's just that simple. Um, you can compete with them for a certain amount of time. I think, but the way that they They're can toying with everyone. Yeah. win the champions league, win the premier league, win a cup without really breaking a sweat. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, they took care of the premier league. I mean, they, they caught Arsenal and they pulled ahead and then they had it. to over, I mean, the final of the champions, League. you just feel like they had to overcome some ghosts, but they did. I mean, it wasn't pretty and it was a much closer game than I think everyone imagined, but they managed to muscle through and they weren't that good they weren't mm -hmm. uh and just fill that trophy cabinet and yeah there's something about replenishing and i think it surrounds pep guardiola what a very special coach um 
what an incredible eye for talent across the board. Because, you know, I know they spend a lot of money, but some of the guys they bring in aren't the most obvious choices. I mean, you mentioned Gundogan. That's a, a you know, that's the kind of guy they developed. I mean, he was very talented, expensive player, but he- I mean, 20, 20 million. Yeah. 20 million from, from Borussia Dortmund. And I remember it so clearly because we, like Arsenal, were actually linked to Gundogan as well in the same window. And we went for Granite Xhaka instead for 35 million. So not only did we spend almost double what Manchester City spent, but Gundogan ended up being he'll he won't go down as it because people I think he's he goes so underrated, but he's one of the best midfielders that the Premier League has seen in the last 10 years. The consistency, the amount of goals, the versatility, he's amazing. That being said, they've lost him and it doesn't matter. Aka, yeah. It doesn't matter. They've lost him and it doesn't matter. And you can say that they spend a lot of money, like you said, they do. But if you look at pound for pound, how much Arsenal have spent, Man United have spent, Chelsea have spent in that same amount of time, you have to just give them credit that they just do it the right way. They spend on the right profiles, the right ages, they know how to put it together. Like we have to give them credit where credit is due. And they just do it right. Yeah, I think a lot of it is Pep, though. I do wonder what yeah. they would well, be like he brings without it, him. Even like a guy like Rodri, who was expensive, was like 60, 70 million. I mean, mm -hmm. he's even more valuable now that he's a city player. So everything they said, even when you heard it, it goes, a lot of people don't know who he was. You know, that's expensive. And now he's like the best at his position. He was uh, sitting on the bench for Atletico Madrid when Thomas Partey was a starter there. Look at the difference between the two players now. Like Partey is an excellent player, but Rodri is on another planet. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like they just, I think it's also Pep's de like his development, the way that he makes players into just so much better. Like he's the best. Like is he's the best. Like you yeah. just have to give him the credit. Can't wait for him to lead the Prem. <laughs> yeah. I know, but it must be crazy because Man it's Manchester City, as it's well documented, was a club that was the championship and they came up and they were they're puttering away. And then this Obviously, the consortium came in and, you know, the money came in and they got their coach and they got their players. But it is the sexiest team on the planet. I mean, I've been to Manchester a few times and there's nothing sexy about that city. All due respect to all Mancurians, but there's every player wants to go there. Like here in the United States, everyone wants to play in L.A. or New York. If people go to Manchester City to play for that team because it is the best it's the best soccer, best football on the planet. And I can't yeah, even imagine when someone Pep. says, Pep wants you. Pep yep. wants you on this team. You're like, oh, but where you know, who, you know who didn't want to go there? Declan Rice. <laughs> Declan <laughs> good, Rice. Good That's my him. guy. My legend. Good for <laughs> him. Always and forever. Because he, there's he, a lot he, of pressure, he, though. He's a legend I mean, for us. Rejecting yeah. City for us? Are you serious? <laughs> well, Arsenal, yeah. I mean, that's like back in the day, all things even, even. Considering the city success, if Arsenal comes in with the, the success they've had, you get to wear that shirt, you get to play North London. You know, London is a is, yeah, as a as a, as a as a player with lots of money in your bank account. <laughs> London is uh is it, it also but I also say that and I go London's where you want to be, but I realize what where these players are, how it really is all about the football. Yeah. It's like their life is football. It's like we're not going out to have great dinners or go on little trips and see this. It's to me, it's football, 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 football. Yeah. So it's about what's best I, for your career, I think, yeah. and where you are in your progression. And 
I understood why Declan Rice chose Arsenal because there are certain players that want to be a part of something uh, like a well-oiled machine. Um, they want to be a part of something and it guarantees you trophies to go to Manchester City. But there are other players that I think want to be the reason why a club wins because really at City, like you look at somebody like Jack Grealish who cost them a hundred million pound, whether he's there or not, I think they're winning the league period, you know, so he's a part of something. He's contributing, but I do think Declan Rice is the type of player that wants to be one of the reasons why Arsenal get back to where they're supposed to be. And um, I really respect him for that because, I mean, we sh- a couple of years ago, we wouldn't be able to get anywhere near a player of his level. So I respect that 100%. I also respect players that want to be a part of a well-oiled machine that's already doing it. I get it, you know? Yeah. Calvin Phillips plays no minutes <laughs> and has like five trophies already. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, whether he plays or not. You know, it just depends on what kind of player you are, I think. Yeah, it's it's inter- I always found it interesting where a team goes, what do we need? What do we need? What is the exact profile? There's the guy. And they go Declan Rice or whomever it might be to fill that. Uh, who's been your, who do you think is going to be the player for Arsenal that makes the difference? Uh, even early on, I mean, I would venture a guess. I mean, Bukaya Saka has been getting goals and doing well. Martin Odegaard plays all the time. Declan Rice is coming along. Is there a guy that kind of is a cut above that you feel will be the difference for Arsenal hitting a target or two that they have set for themselves? It's, it's tough because you named probably our three most important players. I did. Um, Yes. You missed one and that's William Saliba. He's played every game, right? Yeah. He's played every game. He's just, I mean, for a 22 year old, he's showing levels that like, some defenders will never reach. He's so, so, so good. And so without him, because there's nobody in the teams, I always look at players that perform at like nine out of 10 for 90 something percent of the season. And do we have anybody else in our team that can fill that? Um, That's Saka and Odegaard and Saliba for me. And Declan Rice is definitely in that category for me as well. If those players do not perform, we are just not the same. Those players are not on the pitch. It's just not the same. And so I would be a little bit biased if I had to just choose one. It's probably Odegaard for me. He's my favorite player. Like I cannot get enough of Martin Odegaard. He is just, we have no right to have a player of that level at Arsenal. Like he's just spectacular and we have nothing similar in the team. So I think for me, for Arsenal to reach their goals, Odegaard has to be on the pitch playing at his best. Um, and probably closely like right up there with Saka. It's why they're, you know, Ballon d'Or nominees. Yeah. You know, they're it's amazing when you yeah. rip through those players, how young all these guys are. And you mentioned Saliba, we know uh, Saka. I mean, they have some good experienced players. And I, I, I kind of referenced Odegaard because I've always been a, a big fan. And the thing with Arsenal that was intriguing because he wasn't fitting in where he was, even though he was at Real Sociedad, he was at Real Madrid, it was good. But everyone's like, oh, this guy's the next big thing. And I, I, I go, I don't see it. And I was like, I, I'm tired of saying that he is this elite midfielder. And he's good, but he's not great. But now in these two years at Arsenal in particular, year and a half, you're seeing all of that. And I give credit to Arteta and I give credit to the Arsenal system because if I didn't see it in a year, I would have said, you know, maybe Odegaard is, again, way overhyped but now he's he has that part to where i i agree with you and that's why i even mentioned it. i kind of maybe wanted to lead you a bit because i was like this guy is 
I mean, made, made it's that a part of our history. You know, I think people are, oh, why are we getting these guys that aren't good from where, the, where they were? You, Thierry Henry was a known flop at Juventus before he came to Arsenal. Like he, he was, and Arsene took him and made a, took him off of the wing, made him into a striker. And he's our greatest ever. I think Arsenal have a good eye for finding players that are not in the right atmosphere environment, not being used properly, buying them for small, smaller fee potentially and changing them, changing their fortunes. And what happens with that is you get respect and loyalty from those players because you save them. And I think that's why Odegaard always talks about Arsenal being like home as he was largely written off. We got him for 30 million. You know, everybody was calling him a flop and look at him now. He's one of the best midfielders in Europe, you know, and I, I rate that about Arsenal. You can do things in, in several different ways. And I think it's kind of what they're trying to do with Kai Havertz as well. I'm hoping that that works out. I really do because there is a talented player in there might take a little bit longer to get that out, but I love that about Arsenal. I love that you can find, you know, something looking a little rough over there, a little rough rock, dust it off and it becomes a diamond. <laughs> I love that. Havertz gets a lot story. of grief, but Havertz gets a lot of me because he it, it's preceded him with some of his finishing and it was a big yeah. price tag, but it I was. would rather have him. I mean, he was what? He was on the bench for some of these games, um, certainly the Spurs game. And he comes off the bench like, oh, that's not that's not a bad luxury to have. But obviously you'd like to feature him more in uh, in it, it, playing important minutes for this club uh, yeah. based on the promises I'm sure that were made to him to come to Arsenal. He needs a goal. I think it's yeah, just that simple. He just needs a goal. Like you can just tell. And he, he's been close to getting an assist or getting a goal. It's just, it needs to connect. I'm really hoping it happens tonight. I hope he starts tonight because I think just a goal would really just change the direction of things he hasn't been as bad as people are saying he is but when you have the Chelsea fans on your back and you know the media is like very much so focusing on it it seems worse than it what it is so I'm hoping that it's an Odegaard situation with him but um we love a you know we love a, a player that's kind of like in the shadows somewhere else and we yeah. love to dust him off and make him into something it's the Arsenal way I wouldn't have it any other way no, no love lost either for getting a guy from Chelsea and uh, sticking it back in their face. I mean, we know Spurs oh, is a number oh, one boy. rival, but Chelsea, not too far. But uh, I, I, you did the one the one thing where I could see that you spent some time in England when referring to the, these these fixtures as tonight, uh, even though here we're watching it on the West Coast and it's like one <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, so I have, I have Tom Rennie who does a serious XM shows I do with him. He always goes tonight. I go, dude, <laughs> it's morning. throwing me off. <laughs> Who's playing tonight? Is it the Lakers? They go, no, it's uh, it's uh, the Carabao Cup. But yeah. that's it's very charming when you do it. So yeah, I mean that was that was what like something that was interesting is like going from being in LA and waking up at four o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning to watch Arsenal, and then going to England and games not being on when I wake up. Games are on at like eight o'clock at night. But, like, but Jessica, they hate us out here. They hate us. The Premier League hates us. So when you go over there, could you talk to them? Because it's you can put Sheffield United and Bournemouth at six a.m. But don't put Arsenal Spurs. I know. I know. I was a cadaver. Also, I was luckily I was on an airplane when I got off. Instead of taking a nap because I hadn't slept, I sat up and watched the game. I go it's six a.m. There's six thirty at the it's, time. It's crazy. It's tough, and I still can't figure out which one I like more because I am a morning person. So. 
getting the game over with and having the rest of my day kind of suits me, but also watching it like when it's actually happening, like in the daytime when it was supposed to be happening, like that was kind of nice too. And when I was there, I did go to quite a few games and being in the stadium when it's just about to go dark sometimes, like it is, it, it's what it's supposed to be. So yeah, but I'll, I'll talk to them for you. Thank you. Just get that message. It's better That's at night. Busy. Those those night games in England are so much more. It looked the, the ball moves faster. The players are more engaged. Is, they're not yawning. It. I'm just kidding. They're not <laughs> yawning. I uh, Look, you, they could start at 9 a.m. You could have your whole day in front of you still, for the record. True. If the game ends at 8 a.m., now what are you going to do? I got a, I got this whole day to fill up. What am I? See, when, when games end, at, like start at 8 and end at 10, then I still <laughs> have to do some sort of content. Still have to edit something. Yes. There you like, go. I am tired because I kick the ball with the team. I feel like I've played. Like, yes. I don't know. I'm not a good watcher. I'm not a good watcher of, of football at all, but I'm stressed out about my team. I don't know about you, but I just, I can't do it. I'm stressed. Yeah. I'm probably I, I, feeling I, a little stressed about later. You, when you get a little older like me, you, you'll compartmentalize your stress because it's very, it's there's too much stuff there that you have to worry about. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. I, I can't let West Ham dictate how I'm going to go. There's like West Ham. There's Florida state football for me. There's LAFC, obviously LAFC. Cause I'm so close to them. That's the one that really grinds Florida state football too. But it is, I mean, it's, I gotta, I, I've got to move on, but it used to bother me to no end, but it used to be, it just, I, I go get over this anyhow. Uh, <laughs> I know we wanted to talk about Flo Balligan. You wanted to mention Ricardo Pepe. Have you been how have you been keeping uh um up to speed with everything uh USMNT and what's I'm, going on with uh I'm fully invested. I'm fully awesome. invested because I mean obviously um the team is so likable and young and you get to watch them play in Europe and you could just see they're living their dreams. I mean, I'm happy to see Pulisic at AC Milan like I feel like that's a good fit for him. Moose is there as well. McKinney in this like um, wing back role. He's been great. Juve. He's been our best that's... player right now in Europe. Yeah, I'm like, this is, this is fun to watch. And being an Arsenal fan and seeing, you know, Balligan also, you know, be a part of Hayland and then choosing the U S men's national team to represent. I love that. I love players taking control of their career and it's a short career and you can wait for England. You can wait for Nigeria. You can. Or you can go play for the U.S. now. That's like a fun program that's like coming up. And so I am invested. Um, but we, there's a battle there for the center yeah. forward position. You think, I think so? Happy. I mean, he's scored, what, six goals in like his last six appearances for the U.S. men. And then he's also scoring for his club team. Um, and Balligan, you know, he scored two and two. He's he's he, Monaco, the last Monaco game where he, he missed, he missed two the two penalties. So I was like, ooh, that's, that's not cra- good. You know what's crazy about that? It's like his first pen was really bad. And like I was and I saw the second one. I go, they're not going to give him the second one. And they gave it to him. And I was like, weird. And then they subbed him off. Yeah. And then uh Ben Yetter uh comes in. He's like clapping like he's like, you know. So I don't. I don't want to make light, but it was like a. It was like a, a make a wish. He's like, "Hey, congrats! Yeah, you got to take a penalty." It was so weird. Yeah. Uh, and he was so damaged walking off. I was like, "This is not the way it's supposed to go." It was for everything that's happened. Taking him off of the pens, like I don't. He looks really. The second one. He looked really ruffled with all of yeah. that. 
I mean, who wouldn't be? You know, Balogun from from everything that I like, just watching him, he's a very confident young man, like he is, and he would have wanted to step up there and put it in the back of the net, but to miss two and know that you're going to be headline story for the next couple of weeks, you know, and it, it's tough. Like, I and Monaco is not like a bad team; like they have other options, so he's going to have to work they, for a spot. The guy that came in for him, he's like world. It's exactly that's- it's it's tough for him, but this is the next step in his career, and he has to persevere beyond this like he's such a good player like he will be fine but in terms of the U.S. men's national team like it's nice to see two young strikers that could lead the line and have a lot of talent um but I'm really happy about Pepe you know going to the Eredivisie leaving the Bundesliga that was never the right fit for him and um hopefully it works out for him but it's a nice little battle there can't wait to there's nothing wrong with competition for places nothing wrong with it I love it it's very good and to me, when Balogun signed up, I said, because we we talked about who should be the striker for the U.S. men's national team for four years. And it was, is it Pepe? Is it DK? Is it Sargent? Is it Haji Wright? And it was, it was exhausting. When Balogun came, I said, let's stop talking. This is the guy we dreamt about, $50 million forward with Arsenal, now with you know Monaco. And I, that that's going to remain the way. And he's getting something cataclysmic for him and something incredible for someone else like Ricardo Pepe would have to happen for that to switch. And I'm not there yet to say it, but (laughs) missing two penalties and all that. And just to deal with a a confident player. I mean, you, you, you want a confident player. And I think when we have this October window, maybe that confidence comes through. I still think it's Balogun's gig. I mean, I, I just seeing him it's, it's, and it should be for the foreseeable future, but if we get closer to 2024, we get into 2024, we're playing important games and this is kind of hovering around. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) then we may have to enter plan B. Yeah. But it's nice to have, have that in, in your back pocket, you know, and I love to see that somebody like Pepe that I thought personally for me was very unlucky not to go to the world cup to see him perform at a high level. Yeah. I, I thought so too. It didn't really make sense to me, but that won't happen again. (laughs) That won't happen again. Like he's, he's a very good player and he's doing well for himself. So it's, it's exciting days. You know, I'm still very much so locked into what's going on with Balogun. He may have left Arsenal, but you know, I'm still rooting for him and wishing for the best because the U S men's national team, they need a striker like Balogun. They do. And he has it's a it. gift. It's a gift. I know it'll get better. We can't we can't get bogged down on these things. That the good news is it's 2023 and this is all about 2026. But I'm ex- I'm so excited about that too. But I'm also like I feel the pressure. It's like everyone feels this is we're gonna make a real run in a world cup. And I go, I hope we don't get bogged down too much on that, but it is. Yeah. Jessica, great chatting with you about a great many things, in particular, uh, uh I'm a big fan and I'm pulling for you as you continue to do that. And I guarantee you what you're doing and making inroads is going to open the door for other Americans, other women here in the, in the United States that are, are looking to, um, and African-American candidates too, which have have not had those things. Look, you, it's amazing. Jessica, you are a trailblazer in so many ways. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And this is such a fun chat and, you know, I just love talking the game. It's me too it's fun it's just i would the, miss it if it wasn't there i, I would too i don't know what i'd do um uh, but thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it check out jessica black on her social media handles she knows arsenal on youtube uh follow her 
I mean, well, this won't be published in time, but follow her if she has the watch along, certainly for Arsenal for the games this weekend and moving forward. And best of luck to the Gunners, Jessica. Thank you so much. Better you than Liverpool or City. Yes, better me. (laughs) (laughs) We are out of the business end with Jessica Black. We'll be back here with Check Complete, where we'll talk about the promotion class in the Premier League and the old debate has risen again pro rel in the u.s why it's not apples to apples i will explain next earlier this week i tweeted and it got a lot of people discussing that this is the worst promotion class in the premier league in my memory and i've covered it since 1996 97 again i can't confirm it i didn't look at every year but i can't imagine anything like this all three clubs are winless um through six rounds as it stands it should be said luton town and burnley have only played five games luton town's got a negative eight goal differential burnley a negative nine sheffield united and the reason i sent that tweet or x is because sheffield united allowed eight goals to newcastle and looked like a lost cause so I, I said that, and then I said, look, sometimes, again, prisoner of the moment, a little bit too early, yes. Obviously, you've got to let that flesh out, but this is Twitter. We're having some fun. But I strongly believe it. I see three, four teams that uh, two of them look out of their depths in Sheffield United and Luton. Burnley was a team that looked prepared. They had this incredible season in the championship, and they come out. Uh, they've been competitive uh, lost to Manchester United, one settle. Should have probably won that game with the chances they had, but they didn't. I think Burnley have a chance to stay up. The other two do not. Luton Town's an amazing story, and we see uh, Kenilworth Road, the incredible venue they play with. But the more you see it, the more you realize it has no business in the Premier League. This is it. We want nice stories in the Premier League. Maybe one day Wrexham comes all the way up, and we could do that. But really? The sport has changed so much, and the Premier League is a big reason why this league is a global league. England and Britain benefit so much from it because their players, I mean, the coaches have taken a hit, but their players are playing for the biggest clubs in the world. Every one of them. You see, like Declan Rice at Arsenal, or James Madison at Tottenham Hotspur, or Phil Foden at Man City playing for the top clubs. Uh, they have a, an easier path because they are English so there's a lot of benefits. It's an English league, no doubt about it. But it's become a global phenomenon with so much money, foreign investment. You know, taking this to another level, it's become, when I started in the United States, it had a, a meager audience here. But now it's got a huge audience here. We've seen that with NBC. It's got a huge audience in Latin America. It's got a huge audience in the Far East, in Africa. I mean, remember when Man City, were they in Japan and they had these virtual VR buses with the images of the players going around downtown and everyone knows who these guys are. So it's a huge league and money has changed it and money will continue to change it. And we tune in, we tune in to see Manchester City, Liverpool and Arsenal, Chelsea. At the end of the season, we tune in to see promotion relegation. Yes, But I'm not tuning in to see Sheffield United lose by eight goals. I'm not tuning in to see Luton have a tough one-nil loss to Crystal Palace at home. 
promotion and relegation affords these opportunities for these teams. And there has been some romance in their past, and there will be some romance in the future. And I, I just want to preface and say I love promotion and relegation. I love promotion and relegation, but in England it's changing a lot because every club that's already in the Premier League has a huge advantage because they have got the system working, they've got the, the money coming in, the players coming in. And clubs that come in and are not 100% ready and overhauling their roster, remember what Nottingham Forest did. They overhauled their roster. They said, we're going to the Premier League. We're getting a whole new team. So everyone who helped get us up, see you later. It's a tough decision to make. And it barely helped Nottingham Forest. But you've got to hit the ground running. I mean, there have been great success stories from teams that have been promoted recently. And you know, Jessica mentioned Brentford, Brighton. Great stories. Then you have other teams that... Come in and go out, not to be seen again, like Sunderland. You know, Ipswich is doing really well in the championship. Remember, they had a, I remember they finished in the top, was it the top four or five? But they get Champions League and they played some Champions League football and then they just disappeared. Uh, Leeds uh, uh, came in hot and went back down after a couple of years. And I, I wonder what's going to happen with them because it's it's hard to adapt to the Premier League when you're not used to a year or two to stay up. So I think even though I, I think the percentile is somewhere between 50 and 60 of teams that stay up, that is going to be tested and teams are going to go straight back down. There's a very good chance that all three go back down. I would say that that is what happens in 2023, that Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United all go down. Luton and Sheffield United, I am 100% convinced. Now, last year, all three stayed up. But I think in 2023, it's going to be different because it's impossible to stay up with this. The middle of the Premier League has super money, and that is something to keep an eye on. But look, Mike, there was nothing wrong with my tweet. Those three teams have not won a game. They have one, they have three points combined. Each has a tie. And you would think if they don't get it right now, it's going to be tougher once you know they, they run into the murderer's row schedule. They have January to fix things, but how how active do you think these three clubs are going to be? Are they going to spend fifty million on a player, an attacker, or someone to come in? And it, it doesn't work that way in England. The summer window is a lot better than the winter window. I'm not saying you can't help yourself in the winter window, but the summer window is where it is getting done. So I think there's something to look at with the the top and the middle of the Premier League so strong that's going to hurt promoted clubs moving forward. Burnley's a great example because I thought, I mean, they had a, a, a record campaign. They cruised to the champion EFL championship title. So I made that comment and I said, Pro-Rel isn't the magic wand that everyone says. So the Pro-Rel crowd, some were very polite and some were really nasty as they tend to be. And they always, they, they always love to say, okay, you cash your checks with MLS. Um, you really can't have... A, uh, a response to this because you will tow the, co the company line. And I want to say, first and foremost, I've never got an email or call from anyone at MLS saying, don't say this. We have some guidelines, yes, but they haven't said, don't you know talk about it. I, and I've brought up some things that you know have been critical of MLS in a broadcast. A perfect example is Steve Chirundolo of LAFC talking about the roster rule regulations and how they have to be changed. And talking to my analyst, Brian Dunseth, they go, they really have to look at that. They have to change if they want to keep pace with Liga, Emma Ekis, and others. Uh, I didn't get a phone call. I do this podcast. I'm pretty critical of it. And I just, I will openly say I want promotion relegation in, in MLS. Not right now. It won't work right now. But I don't get an email or a phone call. 
I'm I'm really to discourse have that discourse between these people say it's like talking to a wall. I go get out of here, and the the, the pro rail crowd there they do not budge, and you could see everything is an argument, right? For instance, uh, many would say, "What's wrong with U.S. soccer? You have the Open Cup tonight, and they have games to play in MLS. Why would they schedule them there? Because there's nowhere else to put these games. There's nowhere else to put these games." There's an explanation for everything that there's outrage over. So that is what we have to deal with. I, I, I'm willing to have a dialogue. And look, ProRail would be great. Now, I want to say quickly, and I don't want to take too much time on this. I want to say quickly that to th- many people out there think that we had ProMotion relegation and USL uh, hitches on MLS. And by the way, MLS could have its own ProRail. That's 29 teams. There's 29 teams. You don't need to replenish it with new clubs. There's enough clubs. Maybe they split them one day and that would make a lot of sense. And then you add some USL teams. But to think that the secret for success and viewership in this country is to add promotion relegation and all of a sudden people are going to tune in because the Tampa Bay Rowdies are now in MLS and they're playing against Atlanta United. Nobody's going to care. No one's going to care. That's not... What people want to see, it's the same in England now that they want in the United States. They want to see stars. So that with Messi. Look what happened in the NFL with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. He was like, ah, ah, ah. They want to see stars. They want to see the best teams. They want to see the compelling storylines. Promotion relegation will not bring more people in. Uh, maybe in the big picture of things, but it's not going to excite it. And now you have this situation where a league in its infancy, and this is why you can't do it. A, a 30th club is coming in San Diego. And these new ownerships are dropping huge amounts of coin. You have all this investment coming in, which is the number one stream of money coming in MLS. And you're going to tell these owners, okay, you might get relegated because San Diego is going to come in and go, hey, you're going to be relegated. Guess who's not paying that huge chunk of money to come into the league? So it's, it's folly to think that we could just click our fingers and do it now. It's not. So let's get over that. Maybe we can plan for 10 or 20 years, but you can't talk about it now because it will not work. It will, it will disintegrate this league because nobody wants to lose their money. And the fact that these owners are putting that money and has to get you excited about American soccer. MLS built this with these ownerships coming in, not USL. The USL wants a piece of the pie that the pie that they never baked. They could start their own league and do what they want to do, but they're asking to hook on to something that is is building revenue and benefiting from that. What what price do they have to pay for this? Nothing. So it doesn't work that way. I know money rules the world, and that's the reality of it. And without it, it all of this crumbles to the foundation in the United States. So it can't work. It would never get signed off on. Will it get signed off in 20 years? Probably not. Um, you know, I know Don Garber and the MLS, when they brought up, they let it off their shoulder because they know it's not going to happen now. And it can't happen now. Maybe when you have an established 30 teams and they've been here for 15 years, we can talk. But people pushing it for now, it's not going to work. And reality is people don't want to see it. They don't care about a team getting promoted. People don't watch it in England. I love the drama at the end, but people aren't watching these games. We see Kenilworth Road and go, oh, that's nice. And we see, and no, one, no one's going to watch Luton again. It's happening in other leagues, but no one really registers that. And again, promotion relegation is one of the great things that drew me into this sport. And I love it. There's also the Tony Pulis effect when you talk about it. Like 
teams trying to stay in the top flight uh, at any cost. And that is parking the bus and playing to get a point here, a point there. Ugly football in order to find a way to stay up. And it works. And then if you play a little more dynamic, uh, you sabotage your season. You don't get the points and you're out. Do you want that? Is that what you want to see? You want to see parking the bus? 25% possession? Nil-nil ties? Accrue points to keep up? I'm not saying that's every case, but it's a lot of them. So I will stick to my guns. Say this is the worst promotion class I have seen. And promotion relegation isn't always a magic wand. Sometimes it is, but it isn't always a magic wand. And if you want to swing it over, even though I didn't bring up MLS and I brought it up here so we can have this conversation and you can re- you can respond to me, I'll, be, I'll have you on my show. I'll have a pro-rel talk where we can have you on my show. And we can I can sort it all out. Because it can't happen now. It would destroy everything that has occurred up till now with regards to building this league independently, which is what they've done. And they've done it in a certain way. I know I left some details here, and I try to do this off the cuff. That's what we do on the Soccer OG. Appreciate you all you guys tuning in. Rate, review, download, subscribe. Tell a friend. We'll be back again next week. We'll get into the U.S. Soccer October window. We'll have a very special guest on as well to see what that roster might look like. I'm excited for next week. Until you see you then, enjoy the games tonight. Open Cup as well as the uh, Campeones Cup. Placido Domingo.